Sixth verse. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. <clears throat> you may be seated. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we praise you for your glory. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this beautiful spring day you have created and bestowed upon us. <clears throat> we thank you for the gift of each other, this fellowship of saints, this body of yours gathered here today physically and virtually to worship you in spirit and in truth. Now we ask that you would forgive us our sins. We ask that you would cause us to decrease in order that you may increase. Transform our hearts, our minds, our lives continually from one degree of glory to another into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that he has come to bring us life and life more abundant. Speak to us, Lord, now that word that you would have us hear. Heal us, body, mind, and spirit. Lead us and guide us. Continue to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My sermon text for this morning is the Gospel lesson, Luke chapter 24, verses 36b, actually, which means the second half of it, through verse 48. <clears throat> My sermon title for this morning is Times of Refreshing. Times of Refreshing. What we have here today in Luke's Gospel, my friends, is in many ways his version of what transpired last week in John's Gospel. Namely, an appearance of the resurrected Jesus to his incredulous disciples shortly after his resurrection. <clears throat> In both instances, 
the very first thing this resurrected Jesus says to his disciples is, peace be with you. He says it three times, actually, in John's narrative. And he says it once here in the opening of verse 36. A couple of preliminary notes on this verse, his saying and the sentiment behind it. First, Jesus has achieved much on our behalf as it concerns our relationship to God the Father. But one of those things is peace. St. Paul writes to the Colossians that God the Father has reconciled all things back to himself by making peace through the blood of Jesus' cross. And again to the Romans, that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, apart from, but related to, grace and faith. <clears throat> so Christ the Son has achieved a relationship of peace between us and our Heavenly Father. And so the first thing he says when he sees his disciples here is, Peace be with you. And secondly, it begs the question, if such is the case, why so few of us seem to experience peace in our daily lives? Of course, there are moments of peace we do experience, and for those we are most appreciative. But for many of us, the constant demands and stress of life in general, anxieties over our physical health, our families, paying bills, measuring up to expectations, grueling schedules, leaves us yearning for any semblance of peace which seems to be so elusive. Perhaps the closest we come is fatigue and exhaustion and perhaps resignation. But that's a far cry from Jesus' purpose in declaring, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest, peace, for your souls. And lastly, this concept in saying, peace be with you, is the reason we share God's peace during our liturgy and worship services. We greet one another with the phrase, God's peace be with you, because it is biblical. It is precisely the greeting Jesus gives his disciples immediately following his resurrection. <clears throat> and then Jesus has to counter their doubts and prove that it is indeed he in their midst in much the same way he did last week to Thomas, by emphasizing his physical presence to counter the notion that he is a disembodied spirit or even a ghost. Look at my hands and my feet, he says here in verse 39. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Have you anything here to eat? He then inquires. They give him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. All of this, of course, goes along with John's gospel from last week where Jesus invites Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Therein, of course, Thomas replies, my Lord and my God which elicits Jesus' response, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. In this Lucan account, in verse 41, similarly remarks in the older translation, we read, of course, from the New Revised Standard, this is from the Old Revised Standard, that they still disbelieved for joy. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Very poetic and stirring. They still disbelieved for joy. 
When is the last time you disbelieved for joy, my friends? Normally we disbelieve in something or someone because we are disappointed, angry, let down, sad, downcast, upset. We don't disbelieve for joy. Their experience here is too good to be true. Or at least it seems that way. I don't know about you, but I am oftentimes scared to be too happy. There's no way this is true, I say. It can't last. The other shoe is inevitably about to drop. It's only a matter of time. We think this way and we say these things because it is so often true of the experiences we have in life. When you're used to disappointment, accustomed to heartache, overly familiar with sorrow, you become fearful and guarded, negative and cold to a degree even, to forestall further pain. Because no one can go through life continually being disappointed and crushed. So even good news we hold at arm's length. Even success and celebration we only tepidly approach. And so as it concerns this greatest news of all, the victory of sin, the victory over sin and death that God has won and its relevance for our daily lives, our reaction is equal parts yes and yeah, right. We disbelieve for joy. While still in this excited yet tenuous moment, <clears throat> Jesus begins to enlighten them. In verses 44 and 45, he says that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, one, two, three, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. <clears throat> the scriptures to which he refers would be what today for Jews is the Hebrew Bible and for Christians is the Old Testament. They did not have as yet a New Testament. The three large overarching points of these scriptures are the law, the first five books attributed to Moses, the prophets, books oftentimes bearing their names, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the writings, a catch-all term for everything else, including wisdom literature, stories, songs, and hymns, such as are found in the book of Psalms. So Jesus is essentially saying here that all of recorded scripture bears witness to him. That in some sense, he fulfills all of it, law, prophets, and wisdom writings. That what it is in written recorded form, he is in person, in flesh and blood, in real life. And now that he has said that, he must explain to them exactly how that is the case. <clears throat> It is necessary for us as disciples, as students, as believers to have, as the scripture says here, our minds opened to understand the scriptures. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit or Jesus himself here in this original text. So often, you see, we think it's enough to simply read the literal word on the page and then form an opinion. But here in the text, the disciples have to have their minds opened to understand those literal words, which to me anyway, implies that their minds are in some sense closed and they require illumination or enlightenment. It's like the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 
where he is reading scripture on his way back home and the apostle Philip pulls up alongside him and says, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch replies, how can I unless someone guides me? Or when Paul later wrote to the Corinthians, the letter kills, but the spirit behind it gives life. So it is incumbent upon us to understand the scripture to have our minds opened and to be guided towards wisdom and understanding a process which apparently doesn't just happen all on its own. Never forget, my friends, even the devil himself can quote scripture as he does in the account of Jesus's temptation. What Jesus does next is to explain the heart or the crux of the good news, <clears throat> what you and I call the gospel. Everything else is secondary, penultimate at best. But this is what's primary. This is what is ultimate and from which all else flows. Thus it is written, verse 46 begins, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Thus it is written, refers backward to prophetic text that Jesus is believed to have fulfilled in this instance, primarily Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, and Hosea 6. Isaiah 53 memorably says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that made us whole, and by His stripes we are healed. Psalm 16 relays, For you, O God, did not give me up to Sheol, or let your godly one see the pit, referring to death and the grave. And Hosea 6 remarks, After two days, God will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. These three, among many others, are the major Old Testament prophecies Jesus is believed to have fulfilled. And therefore, the message going forward, is that repentance, which is a turning away from sin and forgiveness of sin, is to be proclaimed to all humanity. And that's why, fundamentally, this message is called good news. It is the forgiveness of sins, not the retention of them. It is the forgiveness of sins, not the remembrance of them. So often people use Scripture to condemn others, not to release them, to convict others, not to free them. As bad news, not good, to continue to oppress people rather than liberating them, to tear them down rather than build them up or edify them. And yet, to have your mind opened, to understand the Word of God most fundamentally is encouraging, uplifting, good news. It is the news that lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the possessed are exercised, the captive are freed, the dead are raised, and the poor are blessed. It is the news that every mountain has been lowered, every valley raised, the crooked has been made straight, the rough has been made smooth, so that every impediment is removed in order that all flesh shall see the glory of God. It is the news that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And nothing in all of creation can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
referring to what we receive ourselves in those three earlier prophecies. It is the news that we are healed and made whole. That we are not given up and over to death and the grave. And we are instead revived, raised up to live before God. And this in turn means that even though life will not be perfect, will not be without great trial and tribulation at times, that human sin does not have the final word. Forgiveness does. Guilt does not have the final word. Restoration does. Shame does not have the final word. The fact that you were created in the divine image and likeness of God himself does. Sickness and disease do not have the final word. Health and wholeness do. Estrangement and alienation are only temporary. Reconciliation is what will be permanent. Though defeat and despair are all too prevalent, actually faith, hope, and love abide. These three and the greatest of these is love. Though death be crippling, that day draws ever nearer when shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? And that is why Christ can say to us, Peace be with you. And why we can say to each other, Peace be with you. Because He has accomplished it. He has enacted it. And He invites us to participate in it. And even though we may, like the original disciples this morning, disbelieve for joy, disbelief over the passage of time begins to subside and diminish while joy steadily crawls over the far horizon. Verse 48 today closes out. You are witnesses of these things. While our second lesson from Acts testifies similarly to this, we are witnesses. That's the great thing about witnessing, my friends. When I am down and out, you can witness to me. And when you are down and out, I can witness to you. We can support and encourage one another mutually and faithfully so that one day we all arrive together at our destination. And it's too bad that our reading from Acts ended at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, period. Is what it says in the text. But actually if you're reading it from the Bible. It's not a period. It's a comma. Because verse 20 continues. So that times of refreshing. May come from the presence of the Lord. So that times of refreshing. May come from the presence of the Lord. God is present. Right here and right now. And so we are refreshed. Sins are forgiven right now. And so we are refreshed. God's word is being proclaimed and we are refreshed. Worship is ongoing and so we are refreshed. Communion will be served shortly and so we will be refreshed. God's healing and God's anointing are descending and so we are refreshed. We will be sent out to love and serve all in need and we will do so refreshed. We will meet again here in seven more days and over those seven days we will be refreshed. Is anyone refreshed right now? Who's refreshed? I can't hear you. The good news of Jesus Christ is that sin is forgiven. Brokenness is healed. Life is extended. You have a fresh opportunity and a new start. My times feel refreshing today. Times of refreshing. Times 
of refreshing. Amen.